Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello everybody and welcome back to the China Shop. We are smashing those doors open again for another exciting special bonus news update we've got eric from es invest joining us uh but oh wait that's the wrong script who wrote this thing i need to fire that person eric how are you doing today you're doing great i'm you know the the introductions are always enthralling to listen to i like the variation of smashing the doors this week versus kicking the doors last week so you're keeping us on the edge of our seats I purposely didn't write it out this time, just so you can listen to me struggle through another one. Well, it's good. The ending of that last one was amazing. <laughs> Do you want to say yeah. goodbye? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So how you been, man? What, what, what's been going on this last week? Good, dude. Um, things are going well. The end of last week, I had a few clean trades in uh, IWM. I've recently rotated from selling premium in some of the bigger indices into IWM specifically, mostly just because of the volatility variance is prevalent there. Um, but on that note, as all things that glitter are indeed not gold, um, I actually took a small loss today managing some short puts again in IWM. So I had a, let's see, I had an eight lot out expiring 16 November, which is today. And I originally sold it for, I can tell you right now, for $1.57. So it was slightly in the money when I put it on yesterday and I closed it down today for $4.43. So that's a $2,300 booked loss. And then I offered the market a little bit of additional risk to compensate. So now I have a 15 lot expiring 18 Nove at the 185 foot. So I rolled my strike down four points, got $2.02 .02 for that. So overall, we're net positive um, in the trade with pending premium out, but not realized premium. So just like to talk about this side of trading because anytime I'm on Twitter, I realize that no human being on Twitter has a losing trade, which is just yeah. fantastic for them. I'm very impressed by that. I'm trying to get to that level. So impressive. Yeah, dude. For mere mortals like me, I deal with losing trades in addition to winning trades. And this is one of the losing trades I'm working through right now. So rather than just cut it and be done, like you were able to actually work this position a little bit, it sounds like. Yeah, I very hesitantly go into this topic because a lot of newer traders, they get their mind contorted with this idea of trade repair. And I purposefully don't use the term repair because mm -hmm. the idea of a repair is you can return something to his previous unbroken state. And that's not the case with trades, right? Like they are what they are at any given point in time. So I like the word that you used, which is the same one I use, which is adjust. And 
in this trade, there's lots of different ways that I can choose to adjust the positions. But for this specific instance, I did choose to, to roll the position. And it's mostly because I'm still seeing opportunity. I would still expose myself to a similar position nonetheless. I use sizing a lot as a primary risk control metric, right? So that's why I'm only using these smaller contract sizes so that I maintain flexibility because right now in the purest sense, I am selling premium via a bullish strategy in a bear market, right? So I understand that dynamic. So I'm not sitting here um, scaling in super heavy. I'm mostly trading the volatility aspect, but that doesn't you know, change the context of the actual construction of the trade. If I was trading just volatility, I would have been doing what I was doing last week and doing more short straddles, delta hedging off. But this week is definitely a little more directional in nature. The roll actually is up just a little bit today. I sold it for 202, like I said, and it's trading for uh, 183, but it's still slightly in the money because the strike is the 185 puts and IWM is at 184.25. So right at the money. If it stays around here, we'll pull it down for a near full profit, which is totally cool. Um, and if not, we continue to adjust or cut the trade off and, and move on. It really depends on what the market looks like and what the broader portfolio looks like. But right now, the broader portfolio is pretty boring, not a whole lot in there. So I don't mind playing with this trade. Let me ask, uh, I don't suppose you have any target in your portfolio? Target? Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's funny that you bring up Target, actually, because I just traded Home Depot earnings. Mm. And when I saw Target coming out, my intent was to play the Target continuation. But the problem is, instead of there being even an opportunity for a continuation play, Target just decided to drop like a rock off a cliff so there was no continuation play there for me. It was actually a really interesting move, right? With that big gap down, but then a rally up on the day. Right. So I did not play target, unfortunately. I was actually bearish in it, so I was expecting it to contract because target is not entirely dissimilar from a product like Home Depot. And I've done a lot of analysis on studying the relationships between different companies like that during earnings because... I'm very interested in the predictive capability of other companies' earnings that precede another company and if there is a correlation between them because then it becomes a very tradable event. And in this instance, that was one of those, but I wanted to play it after the open. But yeah, just decided to take this big old gap down and I sat there watching it. I'm looking at the just the last year on the daily on Target and I forgot about the massive drop they had back at the end of May. Yep, mid-May. It was the, what, 18th, I think? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So their earnings have been disappointing basically since then. There's been three consecutive misses, it looks like. Well, and the funny thing about their their earnings is that the estimates and the misses, they're being perceived very differently because mm -hmm. like in back in what, March, I think they reported and they actually beat, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. We had a big gap up, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're looking at a chart, yeah? Yep. Yep. They did. did. Did they, did they gap up on the earnings? Cause I think they did the, in March. Yep. yep. They, they went from 200 up to 220 almost. Yeah. Well, don't tell my wife that I know this much about target because I hate the store, but apparently I know a lot about the chart. <laughs> um, this is actually embarrassing, <laughs> but 
everything I'm seeing in target right now has been very emotional, which has actually made it a really great volatility play. But the dangerous part is the the severity of the moves, like the one again on in mid-May, that one would have chopped your head off. There was no safe place to go. But other than that one, there's been a lot of even the gap down today, a straddle would have survived that move. So there, there's good opportunity. And especially when I see something that's as emotional and I, I use that term loosely, but essentially I'm, I'm ju I just mean volatile, like very wild things that are having these sort of price swings. It tells us that we're not pricing things effectively because we shouldn't have to adjust price that aggressively this frequently. Yeah. Right. It means that every time we're getting a new bit of information, we are just changing our entire disposition and how we're discounting the information like pretty aggressively. What? Like the last three earnings have all been gaps. Well, no, the last. Uh, they've been gaps, but they've been, they've definitely been red. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think the last, like the price movements have been for the last three or four earnings cycles, I'm pretty sure that we've had a gap up or down. I don't think there was one last earnings. I'm pretty sure was pretty boring, but then I know that there was the big one, big gap in May. There was a gap in March and then there was the gap today. So yeah, that's past three out of four. A lot of what it looked like too was, because I think they actually beat the revenue. Yeah, they beat the revenue by a, a small beat, uh, but the the actual earnings themselves, the EPS was was a miss by about 28% and the forecast was awful. An interesting note on that, just for like historical reference on these things, I was doing um, a regression analysis on the impacts of different aspects of earnings reporting and the impact on market reaction. Mm -hmm. And it's very dynamic. It's not the same across industries. It's not the same across products because like we're talking about like, if they hit or miss revenue, if they hit or miss earnings per share, the reaction is like pretty varied from different product to different product. And all of that obviously comes back to what they currently value in discounting the highest in these products. Because if you look at the variance in the estimates, that's been the fun thing to track in things like Target, especially with inflation so high, inventories piling, we're seeing significant variance in estimates compared to other products, which is also another very tradable event. Interesting. Uh, do you think that the reports from Target are of any are giving any indication that what the Fed is trying to do is having an effect? Like, is this is the, is the Fed's battle on inflation is and the the trying to slow consumer spending? Like, is this is this a reflection of that? I think what we're seeing in Target and just consumer goods organizations like this in general is indicative of inflation. It's very common where we enter inflationary periods and then inventory starts to stock up because obviously things have become more expensive. People are consuming less. So I think all of that is kind of a, a function of the broader price structure that we're seeing in the economy, I would personally detach it a little bit from the Fed. And it's not to say that the Fed is irrelevant here, but I just think as a trading community, we've been so hyper-focused on like the Fed's every word. And I actually think that there are other <laughs> more important driving forces. Oh man, are you trying to mess up my my program here? Because <laughs> I was trying to segue nicely into some of the Fed speakers we had today. <laughs> 
which they can sit there and flap their gums all they want. But the Fed speakers, I actually think that's another thing. I haven't studied that yet, but I really, really want to. It's on my annoyingly large hit list of different relationships I like to study for Mm -hmm. anybody that's listening that hasn't figured it out yet. I am just a giant nerd on this stuff, and I like to apply statistics where every place I can to see if there's an observable relationship. I don't care if there is or isn't, but I like to know if there is, because a lot of times there are more relationships than we think, and they can be very tradable. But that's one of them that I really want to study at some point, but I have not been able to specifically the Fed speakers and the impact that their individual speeches have on the markets, because end of the day like what they say it really doesn't matter much it really doesn't yeah i mean for me it was more just seeing to kind of get a feel for what to expect in december i mean the last time we talked about uh what the fed was doing uh i think it was after the actual fomc meeting like the the ideas that a pause might be around the corner was had cold water thrown on it uh then and it looks like you know daily was doing the same again today she basically said that a pause is not on the table which is to me like just a further evidence of how, again, I use the term loosely, but how emotional the market is being is because it's attempting to price in what it wants to price in, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But we have these bumpers like at a bowling alley that are up and the bumpers are the Fed and they have complete say over what they choose to do or not do. And at each pass, the market is optimistically early, I think, pricing in what they think the Fed might do. And to Big Daddy J Powell's credit, the dude has been beating the most steady drum on planet Earth. Like ever since he admitted that he was late to inflation, he's essentially said the same thing every single meeting since then. Yep. The market just keeps wanting to reimagine what might happen, but he hasn't changed anything. Like again, I, I can give him a lot of credit for that. Because despite everybody's, you know, pandering for him to do one thing or the other, he's been very like rock steady. And we've actually seen that play out in just the probabilities, right? When I'm looking at what the Fed is most prone to do in December, I still, again, like I do agree with you that listening to the Fed speakers is always interesting. I really do think that Mm -hmm. because you can use things like the dot plot to start to get an idea of if there's a large variance in their sentiment and things like that. And that can start to make an impact. But for stuff like this, we could just use the futures um, and come up with pretty good probabilities because like three or four weeks ago, there was like a 50-50 split. I did it in my newsletter. It's, you know, I send it out each week. So I look at this stuff almost every single week and it it, maybe not 50-50, but close to it. There was a very tight split between um, the rate increase, the target rate for December's meeting. And it was split between essentially 475 basis points and 450 basis points. And now it's like overwhelmingly stacked to 450 basis points. To a 50 bip increase. Yeah, exactly. So whenever we quote target rates, they're typically in 25 basis point increments just because it's imprecise in its nature, but that's exactly it. So you know, when we see that kind of shift in the pricing of futures, we can glean a lot from it, which is typically my go-to over than listening to all the Fed people talk about whatever they talk uh, about. I know. Are, we, are they ever going to not be as important as they seem to have right now? Like, it just, uh, I'm getting sick of listening to them and having to worry about them speaking. Yeah, they're really not that important. They're like genuinely not. 
I, I was in a, a Twitter space yesterday that I was hosting um, with a dude from, I think it's North Star Charts. He's kind of like a an economist, but he uses a lot of long-term technical analysis, which mm-hmm. is actually really good practice in my opinion, because you can glean a ton of information from it. Long story short, he was echoing a similar sentiment that essentially, you know, the Fed they amplify things, especially in a period of time like we're in now. And what the Fed chooses to say in terms of their policy is important because we need to discount that information. But beyond that, there are other market forces that are the bell of the ball well over the Fed. It's just, I think retail is hyper-focused on the Fed because we tend to draw simple conclusions from simple relationships because it's easier for us to consume. Mm. But what what's not easy to consume is to talk about like the ratio of equities to commodities and money flows over 50 year periods. It's not convenient to talk about things like, you know, the the bond market and the rate movements again at a ratio to equities and what that indicates for money flows. Like, you know, it just becomes like this really esoteric conversation that's, you know, probably 70% bullshit, 30% useful information. So retail more often than not just says, Big Daddy j said this, so that's it. More to it. Yeah, if you're trading futures, you do have to be careful because anytime one of those guys gets on the mic, they do have uh, an ability to wreck a trade that you might be in if you're not paying attention. Absolutely, absolutely. And, that's, and again, that goes back to just how emotional of a market we're dealing with right now. But I could not agree with you more. I mean, the last time that Powell is speaking, I, I go back to it again, just briefly. You know, we talked about this last week where he literally didn't say anything new. He said nothing yep. new. Right. But as soon as he reiterated that same message, the market threw a temper tantrum. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Like these guys <laughs> hold very near term volatile power in their hands. I just think it's, you know, pretty, pretty short fused. Yes. Yes. That, I would agree with that. Oh man. Speaking of volatile and temper tantrums, no, I don't know if temper transfer is a good one. But we were talking not too long ago about the the SBF whole fiasco. I don't know if you've been digging into that anymore since since uh, uh, FTX. FTX, thank you. Since FTX is unraveling, they're going chapter eleven. Ah, yes, yeah. After the the funding fell through, actually, a little side note on that too. I was watching a really great video somebody shared on our Discord with us. Uh, <laughs> do you know his head of like risk management <laughs> was? Somebody that he found on her way to like a LARP con, uh, like get together dressed as a wood elf. And then I watched it. I watched a clip of her talking about risk management. And she was saying that she didn't believe that stop losses were a good way of protecting capital. I mean, to be honest, I don't hate her saying that. I mean, when you couple those two things, the LARPing wood elf with that statement, you start to paint a pretty skewed picture that I can fully understand. But I actually don't hate somebody saying that stop losses aren't a great way because I, I personally don't think they are either. Well, I guess it depends on what you have in place Then you have to have something in place, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because that's exactly it. I think just as I think that that's it, like, I agree with her point on that, like as a large base concept, I also wholeheartedly do not agree with the point of her dressing as a wood elf going to LARP. <laughs> like, that's oh, I, just, think, I, think, I actually don't care about that. It just, I think it just speaks to the, like it it looks like you're hiring the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, like even that, I also really don't care about because I think that 
you know, this, this concept of, like you said, right, that doesn't look like the right person. I think we're starting to increasingly understand that, like, all of these really traditional understanding, like right now, I'm literally sitting here talking to you, not that I'm any, like, shiny example, but... Like I'm sitting here without a fucking shirt on. Like I got back from the gym a little while ago and I'm sitting here without a shirt talking about trading. So like, you know, is that what quote unquote is supposed to look right in Wall Street? No, I'm supposed to be sitting here in a suit. But the problem is a suit makes me absolutely no better or worse a trader. Maybe worse because I might make me think I'm better than I actually am. Right. That's a great. Yeah. I, I think just the predetermined notions of like what is right for different things leads us down to a pretty constrained path. It's also why you see pioneers like Elon, who's starting to save for like pretty technical gigs. Like he doesn't even care if you have a degree at this point. He cares if you have a skill set. And the skill sets we're starting to acknowledge more and more readily can be attained outside of a degree. Yes, we can glean a lot of information if somebody has a degree. Got it. But the point being, you know, that used to be you couldn't do shit with that one. And now people are starting to challenge that. They're saying, well, we know it used to be like that, but there are a lot of smart people out there that are getting good information in other ways. So even though they don't fit this traditional mold, they might be good at the job. Now, I don't think that's the case with her, as you rightly point out. But <laughs> It wasn't just her. She's the one who's been getting a lot of the blame. But if you look at the team that he's assembled, it really just looks like a hodgepodge of like a bunch of like 20 year olds with no experience that trying to run a multi-billion dollar company. It just looks absurd. Yeah, I agree with It looks like uh, Genesis is the next crypto firm to to be halting withdrawals. And it looks like it might be filing for chapter 11 also. Which is really interesting because another thing I was actually doing on another Twitter space this past weekend, it was a person that was talking about doing, um, they like hold their coins with uh, Binance, right? The people that essentially torpedoed FTX. Yeah. And he was saying that at Binance, they even put restrictions on the amount of capital he could withdraw per day. Mm. I think he said he was capped at like $1,000 a day that he could move out. So to your point, like we see this rippling over in Genesis and even in the strong perceived at least stronger players in the space right finance yep. the torpedo ftx they seem strong they're even putting in implementation or like controls like that which i find fascinating it just the the crypto space right now is so incredibly volatile it's unreal it seems like it's just like all these major companies are just so over leveraged that the the decline in the underlying is just caught and then the more people get scared then the worse it's going to get Exactly. That, that, that's exactly it. When you have a very volatile environment that is still very much in its infancy. I think I was talking a little bit about this again this past weekend, because a lot of times I feel like when I hear myself talking about this stuff, it sounds like I don't like crypto or I don't like um, blockchain technology. And it's not the case. I, I, I actually think it's potentially going to revolutionize things over time. But I think we're just in the infancy stage and people are essentially, you know, what is it, Michael sailoring it where they're fucking get, getting a mortgage on their house so that they could try to put more money in? You know what I mean? Like just some wild mm-hmm. stuff like that going on. And it leads to the exact kind of volatility you would expect from it. It's not just that, but it's the media outreach, like going for the the influencers, trying to get them to to pump all this stuff. That That's what makes me kind of sick. Matt Damon of- is going to save us. Right. And, oh man, there's with the FTX. I think before their collapse too, there's all the influencers that were you know promoting for them, like were 
told to go out and tell people to keep all of their coins like stored on their FTX wallet. Like they told them to put their assets into their FTX accounts. Like what? It's yeah, it's very, it's so wild west and just full of bad actors right now that it makes, it makes it hard to, to find something like find a way to, to invest in it and do it safely and not feel like your money's at risk from bad management. Right. Yeah, dude. And I, I think it, it, exactly. And that's how you can kind of tell that we're still in our infancy here. Yep. I'm actually, I think I'm actually kind of excited for the chance for crypto to actually get regulated and join the big stage. Cause I feel like that's the next step for it. Yeah. I agree with you. Well, that's not entertaining. <laughs> I do agree with you. Don't, do you, you want to try that again with a hot take and call me an idiot and do this like Fox News. I think everything you believe in is probably wrong. Yeah, I think there's zero validity to that whatsoever. And I think that speaks volumes to the core of you as a person. No. Well, per, per my last email, that's like uh, my running joke for for corporate people is like the per my last email is like oh yeah, a yeah. douchebag. It's like I work right next to you. Why can't you just come talk to me? Nothing like some good passive aggressiveness, you know? Yeah. Sounds like we're starting to ramble a bit here. So maybe we should wrap this thing up. Highly encourage people check out Eric at ES Invest. You can find his YouTube channel in the show notes. You can also find his Twitter. Uh, definitely worth following him there. Uh, Eric, you got anything you want to leave the listeners with? Anything you're watching for the rest of this week? No. <laughs> Spitting the wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> um, on, on a for real note i i actually do <laughs> oh good I, I, yeah I, I couldn't miss the opportunity for uh just the the repeat yeah, yeah. single syllable yeah. sign off i think what is that sso um but, yeah but yeah. anyways yeah. looking at looking at the the rest of this week there, there are two main things i think people should keep a pretty close eye on tomorrow the 17th we mm -hmm. have um housing starts and building permits. And then we have existing home sales on Friday. So I know one of the things that you sent me ahead of time was just home prices. I know we didn't get to talk about that one, but I do think that that's going to continue to play an increasing part of the market. You can also observe this relationship if you follow lumber futures. Yeah, um, That's been another very tradable event this year. But I do think both Thursday and Friday, we have very important housing data coming out. So I, I would keep an eye on that. Whether you trade housing outright, the relationship with the housing market and the stock market right now is still very noteworthy. Also have jolts tomorrow too, don't we? Yep. Nice. Yeah, a lot of good news coming out tomorrow. But unfortunately, guys, we do have to close up the shop and go back to our real lives and... Well, some of us have to edit, but we'll be back soon with another exciting guest episode. Uh, should be coming out this Friday. Uh, fortunately, we do have to close up shop, say goodbye. So until then, I'd like to say uh, be safe out there and goodbye. How's that for struggle? That was good. <laughs>
They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.